Welcome to Glow To It, a podcast sponsored by Lily House Productions and hosted by me, Marco Drummond. On Season 1, Episode 3, Glow To It, we identify how our subconscious behaviors keep us and limit us from living the life that we want. So, let's get into it. Today's book that we analyzed was 101 Ways That Will Change The Way You Think by Brianna Weist. And the main eight points that she presents and the subconscious behaviors that limit our ability to live our life to our fullest potential really allowed me the opportunity to sit down with some of my closest people, my family. And so we sat at the dining table. And so a lot of the audio that you're going to hear from the interview that I presented with some of these topics to them, it's raw and it's everything that you would expect to hear sitting around the dining table in a family full of animals and children running around. So please don't get distracted by the background noise. This is uh, this is what I wanted. I want it to be real and authentic. And so I want to introduce the people that I'll be talking with today. So we've got my dad, Scott Drummond, my stepmom, Wendy Drummond, and my stepbrother, Shane Wilson. And we all discuss the eight points of what these subconscious behaviors are and how they relate to us and what impact they have for our future. And so the first point of this discussion today was that one of the first subconscious behaviors that we in ourselves have that limit our ability to live our life to its fullest potential is that we believe that creating our best life is a matter of deciding what we want and when we're going to go after it. But in reality, as Daniel Gilbert put in Stumbling on Happiness in his book, that psychologically we're incapable of being able to predict what will make us happy. So then it comes down to the germination of do we plan for that? Do we foresee it in the future? And if so, what does that impact on us? And so we know that planning for a future isn't a negative thing. It's just mitigating that future circumstance that might arise. As long as we aren't holding unrealistic expectations and associating those notions, either from the past or from previous experiences that are holding or hindering us from living our life and creating those milestones that associate with our happiness, then we're able to see that happiness isn't just another stop on a rail station. It's actually living your life in the moment and every day. And so I took the topic to the table and Shane and I and my dad discussed how a plan might sound great unless the side effect is unhappiness. So it's identifying that we hope that we're happy and how that hope can lead to happiness. But unless we take the measurable realistic steps along a path that have milestones and objectifiable goals, then we're truly not happy. You can hope that that plan or that inaction will give you hope that that it's going to work out pretty much well see and for both of you guys that's a very smart thing to say because when you're young you need to realize that what you think might happen is not always what's going to happen and it sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with how well you plan or how you play your game it just has to do with the way that the things unfold yeah. for you in life and it, you never know what's going to come in and change your life you never know it could be anything and so even with all of the great points that they made they came down to the discussion of well, what happens when we have a plan with unrealistic expectations and does that side effect still mean that we're unhappy or can there be a possibility of a chance of finding happiness I'm so worried that my plan isn't going to make me happy, so I don't make a plan. So that's what this is, because this is that unconscious behavior that limits me from living my life. That's what the the topic is. I would never do that. Yeah, and that's why some some of these points... I would never advise doing that. Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah. 
And some of these things people may not resonate with, but others may be like, oh, actually, yeah, I do do that to some extent. And so our discussion changed back to identifying that even though happiness is our priority in life, it's our path. And letting that path lay out itself and enjoying the moments as they come about is greater importance than expecting to be happy, especially at a later date or a milestone. It's being happy every day that we're working towards something and that we're not comparing our path and what obstacles we're experiencing or what we're going through with somebody else. Everybody's path is unique and everybody's path is provided with obstacles. And so the discussion switched to just what it means to plan for a future and that that's okay. We can plan as long as we're still living life to its fullest. A lot of what um, you guys are doing is growing and it's painful when you grow because you don't get to do what you want to do most of the time. You got to just grow and it's slow and it's methodical and it's boring. You both realize that you've already accomplished quite a bit just in the time that you've had to accomplish it. Mm -hmm. And that was what we discussed on just the first point, that living our life means that we're happy in every moment and not waiting for that next milestone or that expectation or that comparison to somebody else and shaming ourselves into why we're not where we're at. Our second point to how we use our subconscious behavior to limit our ability to live our life to its potential is that we extrapolate the present moment because we believe that success is somewhere you arrive and you are constantly trying to take a snapshot of your life and see if you'll be happy yet. And this second point had a lot of the similar themes and topics from our first. This was more so the point of that instead of extrapolating living in the moment, we identified that importance and what it means to not just take a simple snapshot of our life and go, you know what, I'm, I think I'm happy now, but if I'm not, then I think the next thing will make me happy. And so the example I can give is I remember going to Worlds of Fun as a kid. My family would um, all go out for Halloween weekend or for somebody's birthday. And typically the youngest of the group at some point in the night would go, well, what are we doing next? Well, where are we going for dinner? Well, what are we doing tomorrow? Or what are we doing the day after that? And what it was is that excitement and that level of, I think I'm going to be happy when we do the next thing. And I think I'm going to be happier when we do the thing after that. And not extrapolating that moment not living in that moment and not realizing that we're living our life and we don't need to have another step or another milestone. It's the now. It's what are we doing now? Who are we doing it with? And are we happy? So then we discussed that the identifier was that we're living life now. It's not something that's in the future. It's not something down the road until you've reached that milestone. And because you reached that milestone, now you're happy. People are always looking for the best thing before they can start their life. Mm. I gotta graduate high school and then I'll start my life. Oh no, I gotta go to college, then I'll start my life. Oh, I have to get married and have kids. Actually, you're living your life right now. Whether you're 10 years old, 30 years old, 50 years old, right. you're living your life right now. You're not waiting to start your life to get to the next step, to get that job, to get that promotion. In this moment, whether you have that dream job or you don't, or you're married or you're not or whatever you want in life most of us have a plan for what we want in life but just because you're not at that point yet in your life doesn't mean you're not living you're living right now in this moment every single day you wake up you're living your life so you have to make the best of it every single day it sounds simple and redundant but it's actually 
very complicated to actually carry that out, living your best life every day, because a lot of people wake up in the morning and what do they have to do first off? Take get ready shit. to go to work and go do something that they really don't want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yep. they're, they're set off. That's, that's a good point. It puts them into a frame of mind of, I don't really want to be doing what I'm going to do, but I got to get up and go do it. And mm -hmm. at least in the United States anyway, it's, it's a reality in life that most of us, most of us live in the world where we go to work and do a job that it's not entirely what we planned out for our life, but we still do it mm -hmm. because it's we're necessity. trying to raise a family and we're <clears> trying to have a life. And that's why when somebody comes to work and says, hey, how you doing today? I'm like, just living the dream. So to move on to our third theme of how our subconscious behavior limits our ability to live our life to its fullest potential is that we assume that when it comes to following our gut instinct, happiness is good and fear and pain are bad. And so we looked at how when we find that something that interests us, all of a sudden our gut instinct is, oh, this is good. This is good. This is what we like. This is comfortable. I know I can do this. Yet when it's something that might interest us and there's a level of fear to it, and the easy example I can give is skydiving. I want to go skydiving. I know the fear of, oh my gosh, I'm jumping out of a perfectly good plane is scary. But all of a sudden we switch this notion that if it's something that we truly love and that we're interested in, you're going to have an influx of fear, mostly because it involves that we're being vulnerable. We're identifying that we know that we have a vulnerability and we know that that's associated with fear. And so breaking that barrier allows us to find happiness and allows us to live our life. But when we allow that barrier to take over, we limit ourselves from joining the clubs, from joining the sports teams, from joining inexperiences like jumping out of a plane or going to climb a mountain. And so just as Brene Brown had said in Daring Greatly, stepping into the arena is sometimes scary. But not stepping into the arena and not being able to experience those things, that's where the loss is. That's the greater failure in life itself, is ending up on your deathbed going, oh my gosh, I have these regrets. I wish I would have blah, blah, blah. And so if we allow the fear and the pain to enter, as long as it's something that we find interest in and that it's safe or somewhat safe, then we know that we're experiencing life to its potential. And we know that we're taking the opportunities to do things outside our comfort zone and worthwhile. And so when we took the topic to the table, the discussion became about potential. How do we identify our potential and what that level of happiness looks like? How do you know your potential to live to if you don't know what makes you happy? As somebody who's happy and I am able to identify my potential, I think I know kind of back to the path. I know where I can see myself and know that I'm capable of doing anything I set my mind to. So that in itself definition is potential. Realizing that I can always be better or grow or at least learn and adapt even to things that... Yeah, that goes against like the status quo idea. When yeah. you figure out like, oh, once I've met success, then like I'm good. No, it's a constant process that never stops. It's not just another stop on a rail station. So our fourth action or theme that limits our ability to live our life to its fullest potential because of a subconscious behavior is that we needlessly create problems and a crisis in our life because we're afraid of actually living it. 
So as Brianna states, the pattern of unnecessarily creating a crisis in our life is actually an avoidance technique. It distracts us from actually having to be vulnerable or to be held accountable for whatever it is we're afraid of. You're never upset for the reason that you actually think you are. At the core of your desire to create a problem is simply the fear of being who you are and living the life that you want. And so knowing that it's a avoidance technique, we know that creating the crisis and letting the environment or our environment and the people within it control our emotions or how we respond, at the end of the day, it's just a self-sabotage experience where avoidance at all cost is our primary objective. And we tear down others for not placating to our barriers of our avoidance. And so when we took the topic to the table, here's what I described. So a good example would be, we know that we don't want to fly because we have a fear of flying. So we start a fight with our spouse or our partner because we'd rather drive. But instead of telling them why you don't want to fly, you just argue with them about, we're taking the car. I want to take the car. I don't care that's 28 hours, I'm driving the car. Instead of identifying your fear and sharing those. A lot of that also has to build around the avoidance at all costs of that and then leading into almost a level of narcissism of, well, I'm better, so I'm going to tell you why and I don't agree with you and allowing other people to control and dictate our emotions to that. So we like to tear others down for not placating to our barriers. The fifth way that we allow our subconscious to control our ability to live our life or to hinder us from doing so is that we think that if we change our beliefs, we have to adopt a new line of thinking rather than to seek out the experiences that make that thinking self-evident. We know that a belief is what we know to be true because experience has made that evident to us. We know that when you change your life or you change your beliefs, if you want to change them, you have to go out and experience life and make them real to you. And it's not the opposite way around. And so we know that a lot of people at New Year's create that New Year's resolution. It's a new me. It's it's a new way that I'm thinking when really it's by about January 15th, it's I'm reverting back. Yeah, I'm not going to the gym. I'm not healthy. I'm not mindfully ready to you know be prepared to start a journal every day. It's understanding that we have to have realistic expectations when it comes to the way that we believe, what we believe, and how we implicate experiences into those beliefs. And so we know that experience provides the foundation of beliefs. You make them so that you can go out and live in the real world and that you can follow through with the evidentiary to that belief. For instance, I know that I wanted to be closer with nature and I wanted to experience other cultures. And so I knew that I can't just have this cultural belief that I think everybody should go to a first world nation and see what it's like to live there and stay there and adapt to that environment and then take away all the experiences from that back to a you know first world country where it is very easy to live and seeing that the experiences of living in a third world country and how they differ from living in the United States, I think really allows us to appreciate what we have, how we get it, and even the freedoms that we have that other nations don't have. And so even though I wanna project that belief that I think everybody should go to a third world country and volunteer or go on a mission or go to explore and have an adventure, allows us to build our own character and helps us to develop our own beliefs. Because one of the things I truly distaste in people is when they just regurgitate somebody else's beliefs. And I know some people can say, well, that's what you're doing on the podcast. 
It is a little bit, but it's also me sharing my experiences and bringing on those guests like my family to share their experiences and their opinions and their beliefs, not just simply saying, well, because I believe this, you should too. If that were true, every one of you listening wouldn't have gone through the teenage years where you're like, oh my God, you don't understand me, mom. And (laughs) it's just, it is what it is. You build your own beliefs out of experiences. And so to move on to our sixth point of a subconscious behavior that limits our ability to live our life to its fullest potential is that we think that problems are roadblocks to achieving what we want, when in reality, they're pathways. Running into problems will always happen. We, we can't avoid it. I mean, ever. Running into a problem forces us to deal with it and to adapt to resolve and to find a solution to it. This will always result in your ability to think differently, behave differently, and make different choices in the future. The problems and the roadblocks that feed our self-victimizing attitude are the things that will limit our ability to live life to its potential. But if we allow us to experience that opportunity and to slow down and push ourselves out of our comfort zone and be able to learn the mechanisms and the tools to be able to solve those problems and to even look at the problems as not a roadblock, but allow it to be sensed as an opportunity allows us to live our life to its potential because we aren't always negatively viewing problems as a roadblock and instead as an opportunity for self-growth. So when I took the topic to the table, we realized that it was similar to how we integrated our teachings from Brene Brown's Daring Greatly into just this selection of how we view problems as a roadblock. And how if we allow the self-victimizing thought process of, oh, this roadblock is a problem and it's a barrier I just can't get by. And how that negativity sometimes results in us wanting to shut down and stay in bed for days on end or not get off the couch. And so when I took the topic to the table, that's what we discussed. So not wallowing in that self-pity and not staying in bed for days on end, but actually hitting those problems head on. That's a good plan. Well, that was a quick one. We'll go on to seven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you have it's, a lot of it sounded like last week. No, he's got she's got it. It is. It's 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 growing off that because it, it works off of it's subconscious. If we want to, you know, self pity ourselves because we're hit with something. I'll use me the example. I think I told you guys this like three or four years ago. Where it was like every semester I was just being hit with something. Either the school was fighting me because I wasn't a citizen or FAFSA all of a sudden got deleted for some reason and that hasn't happened to any student but me and now I've got to reapply mid-semester and after (laughs) and after like three semesters of just dealing with that I was just done I was frustrated I'm like this is ridiculous and so I finally had to go you know what you get one day to be mad be upset cry whatever but then after that you got to deal with it You get one day to wallow in self-pity, but you have to get up and keep moving forward. Got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps because something I've learned with age is things don't get better. Problems don't get better by ignoring them Mm -hmm. or not dealing with them or coming up with a plan. And that doesn't mean that your ego, your ego side will say, well, just handle this. It doesn't mean you can't ask for help. You got to shut the ego down. And if you need help, you can ask for help whether it's something financially or maybe you've never dealt with that before. Maybe you knew somebody that had an issue with that that you could go to that, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe worked in the office or Mm -hmm. knew something. But I just know problems do not get better with time. You can ignore them, but they're just going to get worse. 
and for you, it could have gotten worse to the point they're like, well, now it's too late because we had a 60 day deadline for you to resolve this mm -hmm. and you're at 65 days. Yep. And then you're probably going to be angry all over. Really, you're angry with yourself. Exactly. Because you didn't hit that yep. problem head on. Because I wanted to wait 12 days to wallow with self pity in my dorm room because I'm upset. I have to go through this process again. And why me? And I don't understand why this happened to me instead of going and speaking to somebody in the office and going, well, what do I need to do to resolve this? And how quickly can that be resolved? When really what it was is they filled out the paperwork they copied from the previous semester. And I just had to sign the document again. And it took 15 minutes. Problems don't get better with time. If you don't hit them head on, they don't get better with time. So you can't ignore a ticket that you got and think, well, mm -hmm. it's stupid. I got a parking ticket. I should never got it. And I'm not going to pay it. It's yep. that's you have not a warrant six better. months out. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's how I had got arrested for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> I also well, didn't uh, know I had a warrant. <laughs> my, my entire 20s, that's exactly how I approach things. If I ignore it, it'll go away. Yeah. And of course it didn't, but that was my philosophy. Yeah. I was like, oh no, I mean, you can say this <laughs> and you can do this to me, but if I just ignore you and don't pay attention to it, it'll go away mm -hmm. and you'll go away. And it never worked. Well, something it else. It was always a failure. <laughs> something else to piggyback off of that. Sometimes we do that because we don't agree with the system. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't agree with the way I have to pay that ticket and I don't want to. Mm -hmm. What well, uh, Something else I found, too, is just because you don't agree with the system, then do something to change it. Mm -hmm. And I'll give a good example. When Brett was able to vote a few, several years ago, he was, his address was still in Rolla. Oh. And I called the voting place, and they said, he cannot vote here. He has to go to Rolla. And I'm like, but he lives here. He's four hours away. Yeah. And she said, and that is illegal if he votes outside of it. Even though he's a citizen of Missouri, you know, yeah. he belongs to Missouri, it didn't matter. And I was angry. Same thing. I was about 12 hours of being uh, irritated, and I ended up writing the senators. Another example leading to a problem that I personally had where I just thought, oh, I can avoid it every two years. I don't pay my property tax when the bill comes in because I don't think that you should have to pay your property tax at oh, the end no. of December and then get your federal tax refund 30 days later. Yeah. So I pay it in September, nine months later. Well, two years later, it's just two in September when I have to get my tags on the car. Oh, okay. But I'll take the $50 penalty. You, are, you and, just said what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like, you're going to find out. Yeah. Yeah. When you got to go pay your two-year tags. And that's just the penalty I've accepted. So the problem never went away. I just decided to adapt and look at it differently and go, I'm going to take the penalty. And so to move on to our seventh point of a subconscious behavior that limits our ability to live life to its fullest is that we think that the past defines us. Or worse, we think that it's an unchangeable reality when really it's just our perception of that has changed over time. So we know that as we're closer to that memory or to that experience that initiated that memory, of either a negative experience or even a positive one, we know that experience is multidimensional because a variety of memories are either experiences or feelings or a gist or how we choose to recall that memory is indicative of our current present state of mind. So many people get caught up in all of the things that in the past that define them or haunt them simply because they are not involved in the place of seeing how the past did to prevent them from achieving in life what they want now. So it's facilitating that traumatic event or allowing a space for us to go back and to wallow in self-pity and to have a shame spiral 
when really it's allowing us to go back and, and recognize that the past is vital to see where we were at, where we currently are, and to identify where we want to be. And so here's what my family said when I took the topic to the table. And it sounded really intelligent. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that one was a little better crafted than a few of the other like ones. You really, it's, it's you all other ones are kind of confusing. Yeah. It's not like you it didn't was. answer. Too many words. Yeah. Too many like words. You, you answered your own question. I'm not saying that. What yeah. I'm saying is through the progression of what you just read, you understood that there was a problem with yeah. viewing your past as some kind of hindrance to your future. Yeah. And then and at the end of it, and it wasn't a question, it was just a statement. Yeah. At the end of it, you realize that it wasn't a hindrance. It was more of a learning experience. Exactly. And as long as we view it as that and just realize we're human, we go through stuff, then that's what we have to take away from it. How Not do, just How the, do you do that like in the moment, like personally? Like if I was to ask you, mm-hmm. all right, so last week your boss told you you were getting a demotion. How would you take that? So I would go back to, because that would be very triggering, and I'd go back to a past memory and experience that I had with a previous supervisor who demoted my pay. And then I had to realize either do I take the emotion of the previous experience and allow it to control my response to this experience, or do I go, here's what I learned from that one, which was to step back, let me reassess what he actually was doing, which didn't violate a law, but it did reassess my position. And what I didn't know at the time is he was actually offering me a raise and a due title and a promotion. But because that fear and how I responded to that, I quit and moved to a different company. And it wasn't until my very last day that I found out actually I just hindered a promotion potential that I didn't know about. So in that situation or that example would be, if this new boss is now telling me I'm being demoted, I have to be able to take the experience from before, look back at the past, right. see that I learned something, and then reapply what I learned or how my response is adapted to the new situation. I have a comment to that. Mm-hmm. So I like that because something I learned later in life was forever we're going to be triggered by our past. Forever. And my example is when I hear about a family that's, you know, they're going through a divorce, mm-hmm. it triggers not only my own divorce. Mm-hmm but also my parents' divorce. But because I have done so much... Generational trauma. Exactly. What's cool about it now is I've done so much healing and learning about myself that I can just look at that and kind of like that little baby, hold myself Mm -hmm. and say, I see you, and I know that hurts, but then I can move through it a lot faster. I don't sit in that anymore. And that's something that it took me later in life to learn. So you made me think about that. So yes, you were triggered and it sent you back to the old scenario, but you could very quickly go, okay, I see you. You validate that the I situation's the happening. Th- it's not going to change. But you're okay and we're going to yeah. move forward through this. Yep. But now I figured out. But a lot of people way. sit in that. Yeah. And they allow, because that was me. That was I'd say that was me about five years ago. I allowed myself to go back and revert back to that oh my god why am i being like this is ridiculous and i'm going through this why me again and it's like even in the moment i'm like i'm not really even upset about this i don't know why i care (laughs) it's just i wanted to revert back because it was easier it's harder to go let me let me take a step back let me reassess and then use the mechanisms and tools that we like to say we learn from experiences and that you know it's great i can talk about it on this podcast but if we actually don't use it it's useless 
Well, that's what that was I was very good. Yeah, that was a very good topic. I like that one. Well, one thing that I learned, I always thought was really cool, was it's just like when a baby's crying, what do you do? You go hold the baby, you hold the baby, and you love on the baby and calm the baby down. You're kind of doing that to yourself. Yeah. Self-soothing. Just take care of yourself, take care of your heart, and then, like you said, you back mm-hmm. away, and then it goes away pretty fast yeah. then. That's why airlines say put your oxygen mask on first before helping the children. Help somebody else, right? Exactly. You can't help yourself, or you can't help others unless you help yourself. Our final topic, as it relates to a subconscious behavior that limits our ability to live our life to its full potential, is that you try to change other people, situations, and things, or you just try to complain and get upset about them when anger equals self-recognition. Most negative emotions that you are identifying are a dissociated aspect of yourself. And so this one looks at how we focus on how others are able to express their identity or their personality traits in areas of where we are not able to and how we allow that dissociative aspect to bring anger and even strike against those people because of that. And typically we find that we're able to see all the things that we love about ourselves, but we put up this barrier or this gloss over the fact that we can't see the things that we hate about ourselves. But we subconsciously see that in other people who are able to exemplify the traits at a level of jealousy to where we aren't able to. And we see these shown to us in cinema and in television where shows that have you know, a high school atmosphere and there's a jock that's bullying the one gay out kid in the school, when really what that is, it's him not able to show the traits and expression that he wishes he could. And so he allows that self-hate and that degradation to show against the out gay proud man And so it leads to violence. It can lead to violence and it can lead to harm, especially his own mental harm and and physical if it gets to that to the other person. And so we see this in shows and in cinema where they become progressively aggressive and force themselves onto others. And so we know that as they dissociate their negative traits, while they're blaming or harassing others for the traits that they wish they themselves have, in true definition, that's just jealousy. And so we experience this every day with people who, um, even in the workforce, are jealous that others are more outgoing or more communicative or able to express how they're trying to get their point across at a greater ease than, than yourself. And so I, I, too, have found this where I've worked somewhere where, you know, our marketing team, absolutely amazing, great team. And the women were just, I mean, they were amazing. They were friendly and kind and boisterous and generous. And so I knew that that was, that was an example I wanted to lead to. And so even though the negative trait was, I'm kind of jealous of how, how great and outgoing they are, the positive and the way to turn that into a positive is I want to be like that. I want to be able to be kind and courteous and, and be joyful and happy while able to be professional and exemplify the qualities that that company looked for. And I think that if we take down those barriers and allow ourselves to express those feelings or to seek help and look at identifiers in other people and work towards something, then we limit ourselves from living the life that we want. And we allow us not to take over by the traits of our subconscious behaviors and grow. And so when I took the topic to the table, here's what we discussed. So when you read all that, I didn't really automatically relate it to what you just said there at the end yeah. about the LGBTQ community. So my my first point would have been, I don't like the word hate, first of all. But then once you said LGBTQ, then I understand that 
Oh, did I say hate? That's the way the real world works. There's a lot of hate out for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we hate the word hate. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's just... It's the most negative it's so trait. Dis- <laughs> yeah, it's so dismissive of anyone's life. It's just it's so dismissive. And so that wraps up the eight points of how we use our subconscious behaviors to limit our ability to live our life to its fullest potential and to make us happy. So I hope you got a good takeaway. I want to give a great shout out and thanks to my family. This was shot at like one in the morning. I was literally just setting up the different microphones to test out the system and and see what it would be like to, to have a multi-person um, interview panel for a discussion like this. And sure enough, it turned out to me using the, the sound bites from that discussion. And so it was about two and a half hours long. We went till about three three thirty in the morning and uh, we had a good time. There were a lot of laughs and a lot of stuff that had to be cut out. But I hope that you got the main gist of the points that I was trying to get across in this week's podcast. And uh, thank you to uh, my dad, Scott, stepmom, Wendy, and to my stepbrother, Shane, for participating and giving me some good feedback and helping me look at how some of these points were a little confusing and kind of tighten it up the descriptions and some of the evidences that went along with it. And so um, I'll leave you with this uh, funny kind of soundbite at the end. And thank you all for listening to Glow To It. I think I'm going to have to spend more time editing out like the background noise than I would the actual. Because like <laughs> so I was trying to like drink from the side so it wouldn't, be it wouldn't hear the ice. <laughs> the bell ringing and like. Oh, that makes it more real. I actually kind of like that too. <laughs> I don't want it to sound like it was recorded in a $15 million studio. It's recorded at the dining table, just like I said in the first one. Right. I enjoy dining sitting around the dining table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>